The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. And now, it's time for Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on 103.9 LI News Radio. Everybody, it must be Saturday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m., or it might be Wednesday night from 9 to 10 p.m. We're on twice a week to talk about your career, dissect the job market, look at the talent pools, look at the various windows opening and closing for opportunity here on Long Island and across the country. We talk about resumes, we talk about cover letters, we talk about everything having to do with finding a job, and then we talk about everything that we that you can do to keep your job. And sometimes we do a little bit of a human interest story and we, we shift focus a little bit from job hunting to entrepreneurism. And today we have an absolutely amazing guest on the show. Uh, when I first heard her story, I was immediately moved and I said, we got to have her on. And we, we put her right on the calendar. Uh, her name is Nicole Laborde. She's an RN. The, the founder and CEO of Ideal Home Care Services and Ideal School of Allied Healthcare. Both are based in Hopog. Since Nicole launched Ideal Home Care Services, licensed by the New York State Health Department, it has managed more than 1,000 cases on Long Island. Since um, Nicole, uh, licensed by the New York State, oh, I have that. The Vocational Training Career School has an enrollment of about 1,000 students and some 3,000 alumni. Nicole is an employer of about 250 people. Now, it sounds pretty cool, right? Like a lot of the guests. But wait until you see her humble beginnings. So uh, what I'd like to do, Nicole, is introduce you and maybe just back up the truck all the way to and tell people, I think, one of the most interesting and inspiring stories we've ever had on this show. Well, thank you, Scott, for having me tonight. It's a pleasure. Um, so as a 15-year-old girl who grew up in Haiti, it was in the era of uh, the Duvalier regime and the world, or Haiti, the world of Haiti or the world of the Haitians became very chaotic. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, very difficult to continue to live in a country where students couldn't go to school, children couldn't go to school because there were bullets, there were um, a lot of chaos going on, so it was no longer safe to continue to live in Haiti as a 15-year-old girl. Mm. So, lo and behold, I came to this country at the age of 15 when I landed in JFK Airport It was amazing, it was scary. I had dreams, I had visions. It's a different culture. So I know that I had to push forward, to push through. Okay, one of the things you did not say Uh is that you didn't speak the language. Correct. I want you to think about this, folks. If you're listening to the program right now, would you go at 15 years of age to another country without speaking the native language of that country. I don't know how many people would be brave enough to do that. That's right, Scott. When I came here, I did not know a word of English. Mm. My native language is Haitian Creole, and we learned French in school. So when I came here, I did not know English, but I had to do what I had to do to survive. Mm. I couldn't go back. So I enrolled in high school during the daytime, 
it was very difficult to communicate with other students, to communicate with other with teachers. Well, how did how, let me? I don't mean to interrupt, but how did you even find your way? Like, how did you like which school to go to or anything like that? A lot of research, mm-hmm. a lot of research, and my mother also helped from Haiti to kind of guide me along the way. Okay. So we, I went to school in the morning, and at nighttime, I had to go to school again to learn to speak English. Mm. Of course, as a 15-year-old girl, and it's a, it's a new country, you don't know anybody, people made fun of me. Well, where were you living? I was in a very tiny apartment in Brooklyn. Okay, so you had a few bucks. I, I had not a dime right. to my name, right. but I survived. As I was going to high school, I had to work some meager jobs to survive. Mm. But I know caregiving was where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So the whole time I was working, I was in high school, I was also working, working with seniors, working with children to make a living so that I could support myself. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated high school, I decided I was going to enroll in a nursing assistant program in Manhattan, still learning the language. Mm-hmm. It was not easy. I had a lot of challenges, uh, being not having people to guide me along the way. Right. No, no personal support system. No personal support system, but yeah. I had to continue to move forward. Right. So once I graduated as a nursing assistant, I knew for a fact this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to help seniors. I wanted to help people who couldn't help themselves. So after working as a nursing assistant for four and a half years, I decided I could do better. Right. So I decided to go into an LPN program, a licensed practical nurse program. Mm-hmm. Now these aren't in, these aren't inexpensive programs. Well, the nursing assistant wasn't that expensive. Working okay. a couple of jobs, I was able to uh, afford paying for the program. Okay. The licensed practical nurse program, however, was a different story. Mm-hmm. So I had to. work a little harder, work more jobs, try to save money in order for me to be able to pay for the licensed practical nurse program. Mm. So working as a nursing assistant, I was able to save money, went to the licensed practical nurse program and graduated. Mm. That was a great accomplishment for me, being that I did not have anybody to support me in that endeavor. So I became a licensed practical nurse, and my career in nursing began. So what year was that about? Um, I want to say it was in the early 90s. Okay. In the early 90s. All right. So here you now, you're speaking the language a little bit. You've gotten training in home health care, uh, being a home health care aide. Uh, and then you, now you've, you're going to nursing assistant and now the LPN. Now the LPN program, that's correct. Okay. So I've worked in various uh, long-term care facilities, and my passion and my love for the healthcare industry grew even more. And I decided, you know, I can do better. I can do more. So I worked a couple of jobs as a licensed practical nurse so that I could put myself through uh, nursing school. Mm -hmm. So I enrolled in a registered nurse program. So I became a registered nurse. Okay, and that was, what year was that? It was in uh, early 2000. Okay, okay. So now you're a qualified registered nurse 
and you, you know, able to work anywhere. And what you probably didn't know at the time uh, when you came from Haiti was that we need nurses in this country. There was a shortage and there's still to this day a shortage. This is what I tell people. From the time I started as a nursing assistant, we still had a shortage of nurses. We still had a shortage of nursing assistants. COVID just made it worse. To me, COVID uncovered what was already there, mm -hmm. but to a higher magnitude. So it was always a big issue. Now it is worse. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about how COVID has affected the nursing profession. I was just listening to, to the radio on the way over here. Mm -hmm. And um, they were saying that people are leaving the nursing field. They're burned out. They don't want to do it anymore. It just keeps, you know, the, everyone keeps thinking COVID's going to go away, but it just doesn't go away. It's like it's like the, uh, you know, the, the 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 guy who's staying at your house doesn't want to go home. You know, it just doesn't want to go away. You know, talking about COVID, yes, it's it's very much alive. Um, we can't wait for it to be over. One of my nurses called me this morning and said, hey, I can't come to work. I, I got COVID. Mm. And we still tell people, you have to be careful. Take the vaccine if you have to. Mm. Well, is it, just give us a little look inside a hospital these days. Is it now getting worse? Are we having that um, Christmas buildup, you know, the winter buildup that we, that we had last year? Things got just a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember... Last year, I was searching for nurses, and I couldn't find any nurses. Mm -hmm. First of all, a lot of them, they did not want to get vaccinated, so they were pushed out of the country. Hmm. They were pushed out of the state where they went, they went elsewhere. Can you take me inside the mind of someone that doesn't want to get vaccinated like that? Were they willing to leave the country? You know, it's because... COVID is new, the vaccine is new, they felt that they didn't know much about the vaccine, and they didn't want to have to be told that they have to do something that they didn't, they didn't want to do. Hmm. This is why a lot of them, they left, you know, some of them, they retired. Hmm. They were at the retirement age, so they left. And those who felt they had um, opportunities elsewhere, they left to go to other states. Hmm. So it's just... Um, fear of not knowing exactly all they needed to know about the vaccine. Right, right. But it's proven to be, you know, as far as anybody can tell, it's proven to be very successful. Listen, it's it's my experience that it's very successful. I got the first, the second, and the third. Um, I do encourage people to go out and get vaccinated. As you can see now, the numbers of infections They've gone down a bit, mm -hmm. and the death toll has gone down. So people now, especially people who have been vaccinated, if you are infected, there's a good possibility that you will recover. Yeah, absolutely. The death rate was never that high, but compared to the number, total number of people that got it. Correct. But but now it's it's much better. Yeah. Um, I know hospitals, you know, go on television and, and, and complain, you know, when they're, when their wards are stuffed with people and people are like sitting in the waiting room trying to get a bed, you know, cause they're so sick, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, are we still putting people on ventilators? You know, has any, has anything else really changed with COVID? It has, it has. Um, people don't go on ventilators like back in 2020 mm -hmm. or 2021 for that matter. So things are much, much better. I think before they place someone on a ventilator, that person has to be really, really in bad shape. Mm. But they look to give them uh, whatever that cocktail is right, so that they can be better and be discharged. Right, 
Okay. So the monoclonal antibodies and uh, all these great uh, post uh, getting the disease pills yeah. that you can take, uh, I assume that they're working as well. Yes, yes. In fact, um, my mother-in-law, uh, not too long ago, had COVID. Mm-hmm. And she was very scared because she has uh, diabetes, hypertension, asthma. And they gave her the cocktail. Mm-hmm. And within a day, she was out of the hospital. Hmm. Yeah. That's fabulous. All right, yeah. so we've really made some amazing strides. This is one of these uh, feel-good stories, uh, I mean, the COVID part, because we were unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the mood that came over the country, you know, when, when COVID hit uh, almost three years ago now, um, was was like nothing I've ever seen. It was, it was sadness and death, and, you know, you couldn't stop looking at the numbers. How many people died Every day, thousands of people were, like it was a 9-11 every day. That is you know? so true. Thousands of people. Now still, you, you have people by the hundreds still dying every day, right? And unfortunately for me and, and my husband, we both had it mm-hmm. when nobody knew what that was. Mm. In fact, uh, my husband almost died. Mm. He ended up going to the hospital with bilateral pneumonia, COVID pneumonia. And he was very close to being placed on a ventilator. But thank God it didn't happen. Mm. So it was very scary. Yeah. Very scary. Like you said, it was like a 9-11. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all right. So so we, we did a little sidebar there. So uh-huh. I interrupted the story. So let's go back. So now you're an RN. Now I'm a registered nurse. And I, got my, I had my first hospital job at Stony Brook University Hospital. Mm. I thank God for Stony Brook University Hospital. Everything that I, or most of the things that I learned in terms of management and a bedside nursing, this is where I really learned all of that. Right. And this is where the dream to, or the vision to have a home health care agency was born at Stony Brook University. Okay, so Hospital. that's what I was going to ask you, is when did you get bitten by the entrepreneurial bug here? So, <laughs> so that was uh, if, if, a little bit past 2000, 2005? To, Correct, right. around 2005, 2006. Okay, so, but you didn't have any experience running a business. Not at all. But people could point to the fact that you didn't have any experience speaking English either. And and, and you, you conquered that, you know, in a country that you were unfamiliar with. So uh, obviously you're a very special person to, to get that far. So, okay, so now you're getting the vision. You're at Stony Brook. Uh-huh. And what are, you, what are you visualizing? So, again, when patients are being discharged from the hospital, family members are walking up to nurses and nursing assistants and saying, hey, my mom is going to be discharged or my dad is going to be discharged and I have to go to work. I don't know what to do. Do you know anyone who can come in and take care of my loved one at home? Mm-hmm. So I kept hearing the same thing. And this is when I started thinking, I can make a difference in my community, not just as a bedside nurse, but I can do it in the community. So I started to research how to open a home care agency hours of researching Mm -hmm. and finally I got some of the answers and I did more research so now I became a supervisor on the surgical oncology unit I got promoted at Stony Brook at Stony Brook University Hospital more of these questions and family members were coming up and and asking so I decided as I was working overnight at Stony Brook University Hospital during the daytime, it was my responsibility, my duty to work as an entrepreneur running a home care agency. Mm. 
Okay, so that must have taken somewhat of an investment too, though, right? You know, I started with three thousand dollars, three thousand dollars in my basement, building a website, having business cards, having um, insurance, having all of the things that I needed to basically run a home care agency. Now, it's for profit or nonprofit? For profit. For profit. Okay, so keep going. So. I was working overnight, as I said, and during the daytime, in between taking naps, I was running my home care agency. Mm-hmm. But then I had a challenge. I couldn't find people to go out mm-hmm. to help those who had a need in the home care setting. So I started thinking, so what can I do to find people to go into those homes to help those seniors? And the idea of opening a school, a vocational training school, came to mind. Mm-hmm. So this is how, you know, after years of research, I finally, in 2011, um, opened the uh, school, the vocational training school. Mm. Now, this is, this is huge. I mean, from what you're describing, because if people remember just the beginning of the story uh, 18 minutes ago, you came to this country at 15, not speaking the language, and now 15 years later, you know, what are you, 30, 35 by now or something or mm-hmm. something around that age? Um, you've mastered the language. I mean, anybody listening to the show right now would never even know you're not from this country. <laughs> you know, you don't even have an accent. Oh, wow. Which is pretty amazing. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. So, but it also, I think, it, it points to your intelligence as well. I mean, mm-hmm. people that are don't have the intelligence they don't lose the accent. They they still got the accent. So, you you've beaten that. You know, you you, you took one uh, disaster after another and overcame it. And now you now you're thinking of opening a charter school. So, how did that come about? It was very difficult. I have to tell you, dealing with uh, state government offices, it, it is not easy. Mm. Something, especially for the the school, I put in the paperwork in 2011 put everything in place to start running. It took me two years to finally get the state to give the approval. And in the meantime, I had to get a space because the space needed to be inspected. So it was not an easy thing, but it's done. So this is where people were dropped off at, at your facility. You weren't, you weren't sending people to their homes. So that was the school part, right? Mm-hmm. I was still running the home care agency. Right. Now, remember, I have the home care agency. People are calling. They need help. Now, how do I get someone into your home to take care of you? Mm-hmm. So even though I was recruiting, it was still never enough. We have more people in need of home care services than we have workers. It yep. was always the case. It is worse now, but it was always the case. Mm. So finally, when I got the license to operate as a licensed vocational training school, we started with two curriculum. What was important to me is, is to have nursing assistants and home health aides, nursing assistants for the hospitals and nursing homes, and the home health aides to go into the community to help those seniors who want to age in place. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So I have that uh, insurance you know, that long-term care insurance, and I'm going to need someone like from your agency to come and help me when I get a little bit older. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possess. We have uh, Nicole aboard with us. What a a fabulous story. Uh, just, Just the fact that you did it by yourself 
with no personal support system. That I find incredibly impressive. A couple of pieces of business. First of all, if um, you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we promote a, a website called BizShout. It's getting bigger. It's getting better. It's getting better. Uh, you really ought to take a look. It's b i z z s h o u t dot com. Regular listeners know we support this social media platform. And in a digital world, we have three seconds to stand out. BizShout sets a new a new marketing standard to promote content, creative resumes, and social ads. Visit their platform at bizshout.com to join their alert list for the new. 2.0 experience that's coming. Um, I also want you to connect with me on LinkedIn, folks. We post all of our radio job lines on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Scott Possessor. So if you co- connect with me, you'll see all the job lines. You'll be able to collect them, talk, you know, send them p- to people if, if they if the topic is of interest to them. Uh, just write to me, scottp118 at gmail.com. And uh, we'll have you on the show. We'll talk more about that too. We got the news break coming up. Be right back. And now, welcome back to Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on LI News Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Radio John Blaine with Scott Possessor. We have a fabulous guest in the studio today that with one of the best stories I've ever heard, folks. If, if you've heard a better one, come on the show. We'll have you on, too. Uh, this is all about uh, Nicole Laborde, who came to this country when she was 15 years old, not speaking English by herself with no personal support system, and somehow... Uh, has built herself into an entrepreneur. And um, if you heard the first segment, you you know the story by now, but it's more to it. But before we do that, when we were in the green room, before we started talking today, mm-hmm. you were telling me a little bit about what Haiti is like today. You know, and it sounds so lawless. And we in this country, in the United States, we're spoiled rotten. I mean, we, we have COVID to deal with. We've got a recession that's looming. We've got, um, you know, all these this vitriol from politics that never ends. We just sat through six weeks of attack ads. Last week I had um, uh, Aoife O'Donnell, a fabulous person from National EAP, uh, come on the show and really counsel all of my listeners, you know, in terms of how to deal with what's happening around us. You know, to because it does cause a tremendous amount of stress. But what they never do is compare it to a place like Haiti. Tell us what Haiti's like. You know, every time I talk about what Haiti is like, it actually brings tears. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. I'll try to make uh, it. I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen here, happen here today. Right. You know, this is a country where I was born, and to see it the way that it is now, there's really no government. You have kidnappers and gangsters that are really running the country. Mm. There is no food, there is no job, there is no water. You have a, a young generation coming up and they have no hope, mm. absolutely no hope. As I was telling you, there's a longtime friend that I knew when I was growing up in Haiti. She recently retired with her husband and they have a house or had a house in Haiti. And about a month ago, she was killed in her own home at six o'clock in the morning. 
a group of 40 people invaded their house mm. and she was resisting and they shot her. Mm. This, and she was 87 years old, wheelchair bound. That wasn't enough. They burnt the body. Mm. I hope I'm not being too graphic. No, let's do it. Um, the husband, 89 years old, was kidnapped. He was kidnapped for about six weeks. Did they have anything of value that would have made any of this, you know, sensible? Well, you know what it is. They were here. They lived here all their lives. And their dream was to go back home to retire. So they had a big, beautiful house. Mm. Uh, they had, I guess, um, they had a nonprofit organization. So in their minds, they are thinking these people have money. So why don't we go and attack and see what we can get. So after they killed her, burnt the body, they kidnapped the husband for about six weeks <laughs> and they asked for ransom. They, th their children are here. So they had to pay about $40,000. Once they paid the $40,000, they said, no, we're not going to release him. They asked for more money. <laughs> and so the family begged we don't have any more money. Please release our dad. You already take the car. You took the car. There's no police. There's nobody that anybody can go to. And it seems like the police, they're scared or maybe they're involved. I understand the um, the FBI in Haiti was involved or maybe the embassy was involved trying to work with those kidnappers to release him. So they finally did. And he came back to his family here maybe about two weeks ago. And that's when he found out what happened to the wife. Mm. This is what Haiti is like. Um, and unfortunately, you don't hear that on the news. You hear about everything else, but no, you don't hear about that. We're bombarded with politics and the war and the and the uh, you know all the supply chain problems and the and the recession that that's that's what's in the news here we we're not getting the news about various countries i'm sure there's so many in africa that are that are struggling um but haiti is you know didn't haiti have a really really bad hurricane a few years ago or, or am i just imagining that um not only they had a hurricane but in 2010 they had the the earthquake right and right. they never got back on their feet. I mean, they were struggling already, mm. but they never uh, move, moved away from it. They right. never recovered. And, and tourism was one of their uh, industries, and now it's, it's, it's not a very attractive place to go. You know, I tell you, when I was growing up there, it was a beautiful, beautiful country. You know, tourism uh, was, was their source, you know, but, but things changed drastically, mm. drastically. Mm. They, they need help. So if you were to... Um, be silly enough to get on a plane and go to Haiti. You know, um, you'd be met at the airport by gangsters, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no, there's sort of a lawlessness that goes on. How do people put up with that? You know, I, I believe a few weeks ago, or even last week, they are stopping flights from going to Haiti because mm -hmm. it is so unsafe. The gangsters, the kidnappers, they live around the airport. Mm. And so they're looking for people who are coming in. And from there, they follow you and they decide to kidnap you. And it is so bad sometimes family members, you know, they pair up with kidnappers and gangsters because they're thinking people that are coming from New York, they're loaded. 
So th- this is the situation right now. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, when you picture that, you just try to visualize it in your mind. It's like, it's like you can't even picture it. And you know what? What one of my dreams? One of my dreams was to go back to Haiti and open up a vocational training school to train people to take care of seniors in Haiti. Mm. It's you've given up on. I've that dream. given up on that. Yeah. Wow. That's given up on the whole country. Um, wow. Un- unfortunately, well, I think that was a very interesting sidebar. I'm glad we talked about it because uh, here in America, we 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 look at our own problems and we never see anything the depth of what you just described. Uh, we have it made here. Yeah. Comparative to everywhere else, yeah. We may have challenges here, but we have food, we have water, we have electricity. Imagine people who are living day in and day out with no hope whatsoever, day in and day out. And we're talking about children, babies, mm. no water, no food, no hope. They don't even go to school anymore. And if they do, one day it is closed because of all of the violence and the kidnapping. Imagine the life expectancy is really low. Really low. And, and it's, it's a young generation that is coming up. Mm. A very young generation, but it's a generation without hope. So we have it made here. Mm. The fact that we have food on the table, even if you couldn't buy it, you have um, government assistance that can help. They don't have that in Haiti. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have food, you don't have food. It's just going to be salt and water wow. that you're going to be drinking and going to bed. I'm going to be the one crying here in a moment. So, so that, that's quite a, quite a picture you're painting. So that struggle is real. So here we have it made. We have struggles, yes, but we still have a better life here in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so now keep going. Did I, uh, is, is it too late to go back to the story and finish the story? No, no. All right, so let's, let's keep going. <laughs> so the story of how I opened up. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, in 2013 then, the school finally got the license, opened up with two programs, the nursing assistant program and the home health aid program. So the nursing assistant, because of the shortage in the nursing homes and the hospitals, and the home health aides because of the help needed in the community. Again, people are living longer. They want to age in place. So it was my focus to have these two programs to help alleviate the shortage and help in the community. Mm -hmm. Today, we have about 12 curriculum, phlebotomy, EKG, medical assistant. So why did I decide to move in that direction? You have clinics. They don't have people to draw blood. Mm. You have people in the hospital especially with COVID, people are thinking nurses and doctors, but they forget. When a person goes into the emergency room, you greet the doctor, you greet the nurse, but who's going to draw the blood? Mm. It's the phlebotomist. They need an EKG. The nurse is too busy. It's the EKG technician. Then the pharmacist. I'm pretty sure you know how pharmacies are struggling. Mm -hmm. They cannot find people to work. So we have a pharmacy technician program to also help. So these two companies, Ideal Home Care and Ideal School, they have synergy. So if I graduate a home health aide, you need work, you come to the home care agency, guess what? Mm-hmm. You are hired. 
because we have so many jobs open, so many people, seniors looking for this type of service. Mm. This is how I started, you know, this business with the idea of helping, with the idea of uh, fixing somewhat a problem that we always had. Yeah. I mean, going back as far as I can remember, there's been both a nursing shortage and a a health home health care aid shortage, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. always, Uh, since I've been in the job market, all these 400 years, 500 years. I I mean, it's unbelievable that these shortages still exist today. Still exist. And, you know, one thing that I'm not so sure why this decision was made, the licensed practical nurse, they're almost doing away with it. A lot of hospitals here, they do not hire LPNs anymore. Hmm. Why is that? They're promoting registered nurses. Now, if you're a registered nurse and you have an associate degree, you're not that valuable. You have to go back to school and have your bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So I say open back the licensed practical nurse. That will alleviate some of the shortages that we have. Interesting. Yeah. Why don't they do that? So is there no one that has a brain up there, you know, in in, in these decision-making positions? Well... I will find out because next week I'm going to have a meeting with the New York State Department of Education Mm -hmm. to inquire why are they going away with the LPN program? Why not bring it back? Especially with the shortage. Especially with the shortage. Bring it back. So it's not just um, hospitals who are in need of nurses. Nursing homes are struggling as well. Can you tell us just quickly the difference between uh, educationally or training-wise between an LPN and an RN? So an LPN, you can go through a program for nine months or, or 12 months. You learn basically a lot of things that an RN is learning. Mm-hmm. But you can, an LPN cannot do a physical assessment or an initial assessment. If there is a blood transfusion, they cannot hang the first bag or a registered nurse has to do that. Mm -hmm. But they can do wound care. They can give medications. They can do bed baths. Mm -hmm. They can do Foley care. They can insert Foley catheters. So there are a lot of things that they can do. Mm -hmm. I still think they should continue to use a licensed practical nurse. But I'm struggling to to understand why they're not, why they're not doing this. I'm not sure if it's politically motivated, to be honest. Mm. Um, I don't know if colleges or registered nurses were complaining. I'm really not sure why they decided not to use licensed practical nurses anymore in hospitals. Mm. So because of that, a lot of schools that their sole program was the licensed practical nurse program ended up closing. Mm -hmm. Because once these uh, students graduated... They had no place to go. Nobody was hiring them. The hospitals were not hiring them. Hmm. LPNs who used to work in hospitals, when this rule came about, they ended up leaving. It was you either go back to school and become a registered nurse, or we can no longer continue to employ. And you had to do it on your own money. Exactly. So they don't give you any support. They just tell you, you know, your LPN is not good anymore. You got to be an RN. Go take care of it. Go take care of it. I'm pre- I don't know if some hospitals, they had programs or money allocated to mm-hmm. help those nurses go back to school. Right. So, um, and, and right now in my school, I have people who are calling and asking, do you offer the LPN program? 
people have to realize not everybody has money to go to college and to obtain a registered nurse degree. Mm. This is a stepping stone, just like I did. You know, I started as a nursing assistant, then I became a licensed practical nurse, and then I became a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, this is the path that they're looking for, not necessarily going back to college and obtain their registered nurse degree. Some people, they have to start working as a licensed practical nurse to make decent money Mm -hmm. in order to go back to school to further their education. Wow. So I'm not sure why they're not thinking that way. They just decided to just cut the licensed practical nurse program, and that's that. Hmm. Really, really interesting. I mean, it's not that I know it was the main subject here today, but that is really fascinating that they're doing that, that nobody's thinking. You know, is, isn't there anybody responsible, some sort of czar of jobs that, that says, well, wait a minute, this isn't working. We need to get the LPN program back. Well, I'm, I'm hoping somewhere, somewhere in Albany, um, they're really uh, talking, they're talking about it. I, I'm really hoping that the mindset is changed because of what's going on in the healthcare industry. Okay. I totally believe that will make a difference. Okay. So just to recap, not only did you start a home care agency, you started what would be equivalent of a charter school, you know, that that educates people to become home health care aides, basically creating your own talent pool. This is a uh, an act of genius, if you ask me. So... <laughs> You know, I'm sure that, you know, your kids probably wouldn't agree with that. But, um, uh, but you know, it just seems so smart, you know, that you had the foresight to do that. Yes. And again, sometimes we would get, uh, you know, when I was, when I started the home care and I was hiring and I would get some aids and I would be like, oh my God, where did this person get their training from? Mm. So it is my responsibility, I feel, to not only train those students that are coming to my school just to take care of someone, but we also incorporate customer service. Customer service is a big deal. It's not just turning and repositioning someone and preparing meals for someone, but you have to understand you're going to an 80-year-old, a 90-year-old person who was able to take care of himself or herself for the longest time now you have a complete stranger coming in Mm. to their home so how do you deal with that 87 89 90 year old person i'm so glad you brought this up i'll tell a really quick story my uh i still remember to this day my grandmother telling me a story she was she was hospitalized at the very end of her life and they woke her up at three o'clock in the morning and took her temperature you know, rectally. Mm-hmm. And she started screaming. She's like, what the hell are you doing? If you're going to do that, say, talk to me first. Yes. Tell me what you're going to do. Don't just do it. Yes. Uh, and I was devastated, but I went into the hospital, you know, looking to kick somebody's butt. But but it it, it just, it was out of my control. There was no, I couldn't do anything about it. But but a customer service is such a huge part of being a nurse. Correct. This, this is when I hire someone, even if it's, a, it's an office staff, I tell them, Customer service is my number one priority. Hmm. If you cannot provide great customer service, then this is not for you. Yes, absolutely. This is this this field, this this 
healthcare field is not for you. Okay, now we're running a little short of time. I want you to tell us one more time about the school itself. Let's say people are listening and they go, well, I'd love, I'd love for Nicole's you know, thinking to be passed on to me as it relates to the home healthcare business. How do people get involved? Is there a website, a number to call? Yeah, so the phone number is 631-509-5602. If you are unemployed and you've just lost your job, and you want to help people, and you want to go to work right away and have a skill, they could call you. Yes, this is the place to go. All right, and what's the name of the school again? Ideal School of Allied Healthcare. And it's located? 300 Motor Parkway, Hopog, New York, 11788. And the website, www.isahc.com. Please again. www.isahc.com. I-S-A-H-C.com. And give the phone number one more time. 631-509-5602. Okay. And uh, are there, uh, is there money available to help people or they or, the, or they have to pay whatever the, the cost is? So we do have tuition assistance. We have payment plans. And recently I, I have um, an affiliation with the Department of Labor. So people can always go there. They will screen them and see if they would be qualified for them to help the people who are unable to uh, pay their tuition. Yeah, as a person who's getting older, you know, and, and I'm looking at retirement in just a few years, uh, I'm going to be needing people like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Ideal. That's what I'm going to do. You're going <laughs> to give me your card. All right, you've been listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor. We just had the most amazing conversation with Nicole Aboard, uh, who has, who's an entrepreneur but did it all. I mean, she did it her way. She did it from the beginning. 50 years old, not speaking a language, folks. That's a pretty amazing person. Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank if you, you want to be a guest on Radio Jobline, write to me, scottp118 at gmail.com. I'd be happy to have you or your idea on the show. And don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Possessor. Somebody told me to spell it. P-A-S-S-E-S-E-R. Connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll see all the radio job line programming uh, after they air here on the radio station. We'll, um, we'll be taking a break, I think, for, for Thanksgiving next week. But we'll be back right through, the, right through the end of the year with more shows. Have a great week, everybody. Happy hunting. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.